Okay, as you all know, usually uh, my nickname is the closer. I'm the closer, meaning I'm usually the last Sunday of the year is the only time I preach. But, uh, you know, it's, it's third inning, and I've been called to, uh, to play my part. So the, 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 the starting pitcher was called away. He had to do some things. And the long reliever, uh, he's in Ireland, so it looks like I'm on today. So, sorry, you know, the Rivera, the Rivera guy. Thank you, Howard. All right, I'm ready to roll. All right, got the ball? We're happening. All right, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you transform our hearts and minds by the work of your Holy Spirit. We want to become more the men and women you want us to be in Christ. Lord, we are thankful that you're so faithful, uh, you're so patient uh, with us. We ask, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Only one person knew that the woman had been sexually assaulted. Only one person knew. That person was my boss, and I was in a small group with him, and he shared with me and the other people in the group about the girl and the sexual assault. A few days later, I was watching a touch football game in seminary, and, and I knew this guy, Jerry, knew the girl who'd been, who'd been assaulted. And I just, I said, hey, Jerry, I just want you to be aware that this girl had been assaulted. You might be able to care for her or whatever. Three or four days later, that small group reassembled. My boss, the only one she told about the sexual assault, and he said to the group, he said, hey, did anyone here talk about this girl's and her sexual assault? And then it hit me. I said something. I said, Bert, I did. Bert looked back at the group and said this. I'll never forget it. He said, I thought I could trust this group, but I can't. Loose lips sink ships, and they cause a lot of havoc in people's lives. We're continuing a series, the Jesus Creed, and the verse today is Exodus 20:16, saying, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. The message kind of makes that a little more uh, easy. It says, no lies about your neighbor. Well, give me a little preacher license here. I'm not going to talk about lying today. I want to talk about telling the truth telling the truth. Ephesians 3.15 says, speak the truth in love. And that's the focus of our time today, speaking the truth in love. Warren Wisby, Wordsby says this, that if you say the truth without love, that's brutality. If you speak love without the truth, that's hypocrisy. But speaking the truth in love changes lives. The people who love us, we know that love us, there's a bridge there. They speak the truth into our lives. That changes us. Now, if you have a little outline, hope you do. We got to bulletin. Uh, there's a line. I always like having a hand out. I'm kind of known for that. Uh, but uh, you have one. I want you to follow along with me. And the sermon title today is a little bit unusual, but I kind of like it. It's called Body Parts. Body Parts. So we're going to talk about body parts today and how really... Uh, each of those things can be used to help us speak the truth in love. Now, a lot of times our words, and that's the first, the first section today, our first body part is the tongue, and that is words. Tongue, words, that's our first body part. And words can, at times, we can be mindless with our, our words. Uh, sometimes, intentionally, they can be, they can be hurtful. Um, I, all of us, I think, have made the mistake one time at least, walking up to some person and saying, oh, you're pregnant. And they weren't. That 
not good, not a good scene, not bad, not bad, bad, bad. Now, I, I could take that one step further. I'm pretty, I'm pretty dumb, pretty bad. I remember I walked with this young couple one time. I said, oh, are you, are you married? And they looked at me and said, no, we're not. I went, awkward, awkward, kind of left there pretty quick. So anyway, so words, sometimes they, they can be, again, unintentional. Sometimes they can be uh, harmful um, and whatever. Now, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul talks a lot about uh, ways that we as humanity are in rebellion against our creator. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vivid uh, explanation. It's, uh, it's very stark. And, but part of that explanation about our uh, rebellion and our uh, sinfulness is talking about our words that we use. It talks, it talks in Romans 1 about us being gossips, about us being slanderers, about us being boastful, all the things that about using our tongue. Tim Keller, one of uh, many of our favorites, uh, talks about that old saying about sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Keller translates that much more uh, authentically when he says sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can penetrate into my soul and pollute it forever. That's the power of words. James chapter 3 discusses the importance and the power of words. Talking about the tongue here again. Talking about the, uh, the bit you put in a horse that can guide it. Or a, uh, a, a, a rudder you put in a ship. Or a little spark and start a fire. But all the small parts of a tongue can create a big effect. I think I might have told this story before to you all, but when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I asked a girl out for the basketball banquet, probably about four months in advance, and uh, the week of the banquet, I got a phone call, and she said, hey, Murray, I'm sorry, I can't go with you. My grandmother from Alaska is coming in, and I really can't go. That was kind of bad news. But the next day, the next day at school, I remember right where it was, a guy came over to me, and I don't know how he found out, but he said, hey, Murray, I found out why Lisa would not go out with you. And like a lamb led to slaughter, I walked over there and said, yeah. And, she, and he said, she said, you look like a gorilla. Oh, my, you know, on the outside, you're, but inside you're dying, you know, oh, my gosh. So, you know, and I was kind of those persons, kind of a marginal athlete, no, normal kind of intelligence, uh, average of whatever looks. But, you know, those, those kind of things, those are tapes we have, don't we? I, I have tapes, you have tapes of words and things that were said that were very destructive. Now, interesting, on the other side, uh, just last week, and this is great to tell you, this is last week, I was out in the Great Hall and had a conversation with one of the ladies talking about her family and things. And at the end of that, she said, Murray, just want to thank you so much for who you are and what you mean to us and da-da-da. And it wasn't 10 minutes earlier, actually, than that probably, a couple were sitting on the couch and Murray, oh, thank you for being you. And what, you know, 32 years I've been here this week it'll be. And so what is it? Thank you. I said, wow, that's what the church should be about, right? The church should be about building people up, encouraging them, using our words, speaking the truth in love. That's what the body of Christ should be about. Now, in our home, we had five kids at one point, and they're all grown up now, thank the Lord. But um, often in the home, you know, with five kids, things are said, and uh, sometimes things are not said well. And so Jerry and I, when we'd hear things like that, when we could, and we had our minds about us, we'd speak into that. When, they, when the kids would say mean things to one another, and we'd say to them, we'd say, you know, our home is a building place, and we build people here. Out in the world, you're going to get evaluated, judged, put down. But in this home, this home is a building place. 
That's what the body of Christ should be as well. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Do not forsake your own assembling together, but encouraging one another all the more till the day of Christ arrives. So we as the body of Christ should be a place where the truth is shared in love. The longer passage, Ephesians 3.15, says this. And if you might pop it on the screen, Ephesians 3.15. It says this, instead of speaking the truth in love, it said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking truthful, not flattery, but truth. Speaking love and gentleness and kindness. Now, how does that happen? How do our tongues, how do they, how do, they, how do, they do that? How are we, if our heart is broken, we're naturally sinful, we do our own thing, we're not, how, do, how is our tongue transformed? How does that happen? How do we move from lies and gossip and slander, putting others down, boasting, complaining, grumbling, defending our egos? How does our tongue change from that sort of speech to where we really build others up? In love. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second. But before I get to that, I want to talk about some other body parts a little bit first and how they tie in to communicating the truth in love. So we've talked about the tongue and words. The second thing I want to mention to you on your outline, if you notice that, is we communicate love with our feet, with our feet or with our presence. We communicate love with our feet are with our presence. Now, Gary Chapman wrote a book a few years back. He's actually still alive. It's called The Five Love Languages. I think those five love languages, I want to say those to you, but they are. Their time is a way we communicate love. Time, gifts, service, touch, and words. Those are five. Those are the five love languages. And if you notice by those words, only one of them is verbal. Only one of those five love languages are verbal. Now, in premarital counseling, when I meet with couples, it's kind of fun. I have the guy and the girl, and I kind of ask the girl, what do you think your fiancé's love language is, or one of those five? And then I'll ask the guy, what do you think your fiancé, you know, what do you think her love language is? So it kind of says how well they know each other. Well, this is kind of a funny thing. So I've been married 39 years, and a couple of years ago I said, hey, Jerry, what's your love language? Just kind of thinking. She said, gifts. And I went, oh, my gosh, gifts? I said, I'm the worst. I mean, I'm just terrible. I'm a terrible gift giver. And here's my wife's main love language. Well, we've made it 39 years anyway. But anyway, it's kind of like sometimes we just don't, you know, understand all that kind of stuff and don't learn that way. But the love languages. But only, again, one is verbal. One is verbal. I look back again about my home and upbringing. I've mentioned before, but in the home I grew up in, there was not, I never heard my parents say they love each other. I never heard them say they love me. I never got a hug that I could ever remember from my home growing up. But I do remember this. Every day, if I was home three meals, three meals a day were prepared. If I had any bills that needed to be taken care of, they were taken care of. If I was sick or hurting, my parents were there for me. So my parents showed up, they stood up, and they backed me up, okay? That's a lot of love. That's a lot of love, and I'm thankful for that. Now, there's some expressions that, that I love talking about this sense of presence, the sense of presence and, and how we communicate love, speak the truth and love through our presence. Um, 90% success, you've heard that, is just showing up, just being there, being there, showing up. 
Um, I had a friend years back whose uh, dad said something to me very insightful. Also, I think speaking about this presence and speaking, to lo- speaking love by our presence. He said this. He said, Murray, said, I can tell the character of a man or a woman by how they keep their promises in minor conversations. Hey, I'll give you a call sometime. Hey, let's go have lunch. Hey, I'll mail that article to you. Hey, let's get together. So you can tell the character of a person by how they keep their promises in minor conversations. Whoa. So that, that says when you keep your promises, when you do what you say, that says all kind of things as far as your love for people. My last little expression I've liked so much is this, is that your life speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. Somebody says, hey, I love you, I care for you, da-da-da. But do they show up? Do they do what they say? Are they there? Do they follow through? Your life speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. You communicate speaking the truth in love by your presence, by your presence and doing what you say. I, I like this little statistic. It talks about communication. When you're with people, you know, wh- how do you, how, what, what communicates when you're with somebody? What communicates? Well, and you've heard some of this before. It's pretty good. It says that 55% of communication when you're with somebody is nonverbal. In other words, it's your eyes, it's your smile, it's your hands, it's your gesture. 55% of communication when you're with somebody is nonverbal. 38% is vocal, meaning it's, it's your inflection, it's your tone. So that communicates love as well, your tone, your inflection. And only 7% of your communication when you're with somebody are the words you use. So communicating the truth and love. So much is nonverbal. So much is, again, your tone, your inflection. Now, if you can't be with somebody as far as being present, uh, you know, I guess people are so tired of Zoom and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. But two or three times during the, the COVID kind of deal, we get our five kids and their, in-law, and their spouses, and we do, a, we do a, you know, everybody on the screen at one time. I mean, it was chaotic. I admit it was, but it was fun. It was great. Just being together in that kind of sense, at least it was something. And it was something to be thankful for, and I appreciate that. Also, another way to be present with a person is by telephone. Been around a long time. The phone. The phone is a way that if you can't be there literally, uh, you can be there on the phone. It was a few years back uh, that uh, something I really remember is that if you know, if you grew up in my home, basically if you didn't play basketball, you didn't eat. It was okay. I mean, if you didn't eat, if you didn't play, it's what you had to do. But um, so our, our second kiddo, uh, his senior year, he, he'd had kind of a rough junior year, so in the best senior year, he was the go-to guy. He was the man. And the fifth game of his senior year, he blew his ACL out. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was toast. He was over. I remember the next day, I was home. I did not come to work. I did not, I didn't pray. I didn't, I was just angry. I was just hurt. I was just so disappointed by that. And Anita Goodwin, my secretary, and a good friend from Dallas, Philip Jones, both called me up and prayed with me on the phone. I mean, I did not want to pray. But it was such a ministry to me to know people cared and people prayed. So there's a lot of different ways as far as presence that you can show uh, the, your love and care for them. Now, um, God could have, if he wanted to, he could have wrote a bunch of leaflets, could have a bunch of, bu- bunch of pass outs like I just did. He could have done that. He could have written that, hey, I really care for you. And he could have dropped those leaflets all over the world and just kept doing it year after year and communicate his love that way. Or he could have got all the clouds. He could have formed the clouds and say, hey, I'm wild and crazy about you. He could have made all these, and he could have communicated through the clouds. That could have been cool. But you know what he did? He showed up. Showed up. 
Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, he showed it by the cross of Christ. Greater love hath no man than this, and he should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus showed up and laid down his life for us. That's the ministry of presence. Okay, the third body part, the third body part would be your ears, your ears, your ears. Listening, listening, speaking the truth in love. Listening communicates that love as well. Now, I don't know, I almost asked Kara to show this. I know probably a lot of you all have seen it, but it's that little short video, and it's entitled, It's Not About the Nail. Have you seen it? If you haven't, write it down. When you get out of here, Google it or whatever. Say, it's not about the nail. It's an amazingly, it's had, it had like 22 million hits. But anyway, what the deal is, it's a husband and wife, and they're sitting on a couch. And the woman is saying, oh, man, I'm feeling so much pressure and hurt in my life. And, da, da, da. and then they pan, and the woman has a nail sticking out of the front of her head. And the guy says, let me fix that. Can I agree with that? She says, no, 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 no. Just Listen. And he said, don't fix it. Just listen to what's going on. So she goes on about how hard it is and hard it is. And then at the end of the video, he starts listening. He said, oh, I really hear you saying that. And she says, oh, thanks. So they start to give a hug right at the end. And then her nail bumps into his head. It's a, it's a great, you mean, you've you got to watch this video. But the key is, that we're trying to say in that video, is just listen. Just listen. Be there and listen. And how important that is as far as speaking the truth and love and being heard. Job, the old story in the Old Testament, Job was a guy, had a, he had a bad day. In fact, he had a really, really bad day. And he had three or four buddies show up, and he's reading the first couple of chapters of Job. And, and they sat there for seven days, seven days and seven nights. They said nothing. They just were there with him, listening, caring. And at the end of seven days, they started talking. The next 35 chapters, they should have kept their mouth shut. I mean, they were good the first seven days. They were bad after that. So the importance of just... Being there, listening, and caring. James 1.19 says much the same. It says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So we'll say it. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Kairos is a prison ministry. I'm not sure I've seen anybody here that's been involved in Kairos at this point. But Kairos is a, it goes in the prison, spends four days in the prison, and you care for the prisoners, and you share the gospel, and you love on them, and you eat a lot of meals together. It's a great time. But the, the, kind of the mantra of Kairos is, is this. It says, love, love, listen, listen. Love, love, listen, listen. Very well said. The Ministry of Listening. My wife's, one of her favorite books is called The Grain of Wheat. And it's got some great stuff in there, but it has a quote in here that I, I want you to see. And they, it says this, The tragedy of many conversations is that each one speaks to the other, but listens only to himself or herself. Wow. Two different monologues. Not a dialogue, a monologue. How do you feel when people really listen to you? Don't you feel valued? Don't you feel cared for? Okay, the final body part. The final body part is the heart. 
the heart. And the heart connects to the will. The heart connects to the will. Now, when we think of the word heart, we think of feelings, feeling love or feeling angry. But biblically, the, when you, the, the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about your decision-making place, where you decide, where you make decisions and you determine what you want to do. So biblically speaking, the term heart has to do with your decisions. And as you know, the Bible's pretty clear too, our heart, since the fall of humanity, we're in rebellion. We are defectors. We don't want God's stuff. We want to do, we want to make our own decisions. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. We don't want somebody else in charge. We want to be captain of our own ship, right? That's who we are as people. We don't want somebody telling us something. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our hearts are all darkened because of our own sin and rebellion. Jeremiah 17, 9 says just that. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Jesus as well talking about our hearts. Now this section is from Matthew 12, 34, 35. But Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, but it could really be us as well. And he, does, he tells it like it is. Jesus doesn't mess around. He says this, you brood of vipers. Whoa, that would get your attention. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored in, in him. The evil man brings evil out of the evil stored in his heart. So again, naturally, we're selfish. We're self-centered. We're broken. We're far from him. Our situation really is indeed, it's dire. Can we really speak the truth in love? Can we be people who do that, given our heart, given the rebellion that we are are in? Two things in conclusion. First is this. God cares for your heart. God cares for your heart. You can't change it. He can. Why don't you let him? You can't change your heart. He can. Why don't you let him? 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, The Lord does not look at the things the man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Romans 5, 5 talks about, again, this desire of God to change our heart. Romans 5, 5 says this, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given to us. So God has a great desire to change our hearts and to make it conform to Christ and who, who he wants us to be. Last little thing, so that's what God wants, but what about you? What's your part? Well, let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little story. Now, <laughs> uh, when my kids were growing up in the house, uh, Hunter um, wanted to, uh, he'd been to Kanakuk, been to a lot of kind of things. His counselors at Kanakuk had uh, tattoos. They had tattoos, and Hunter came to me. Again, kids were all in the house at this point, and Hunter said, hey, Dad, I want to get a tattoo. I said, great, honey, you get a tattoo. Just pay for college. I'm good. No problem. All right. So you want to do great. Go for that tattoo, bro. So now spin forward a few more years. The kids are out of the house. Okay, they're out of the house. Get it? They're on their own. And uh, Joy, unbeknownst to me, contacts Jerry, my wife, and says, hey, would you write out in your handwriting the word surrender? Surrender. And so what Joy did, sweet little Joy, bless her soul, she has a tattoo on her forearm that says what? Surrender. Well, anytime I read stuff about surrender, I think about joy, I think about surrender. And, and, and that's what God wants from us. He wants us to surrender our heart, 
or to yield our heart. First, have you yielded or surrendered your life to Christ? He died in your place. Substitutionary atonement. Christ died the death that you deserve, that you might live the life he's always wanted for you. Christ died in your place. Have you given your life to Christ? Secondly, though, have you surrendered your heart daily to him? Do you, have you, and are you surrendering your heart daily to him? Now, I've stolen a little phrase from a book. It's not actually even a Christian book. It's called Habits of the Heart. Habits of the Heart. So I want to ask you today, what kind of habits have you developed in your life to enable your heart to be transformed? What kind of habits do you have? Now, for years, I'm sure many of you, and in fact, the congregation, and how we had the study of our congregation a few years, a couple of years back, we have a great congregation that studies the Word. It's exciting. So, you know, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So study of Scripture is so important and foundational to uh, transforming your heart. But there, there are other kind of disciplines and things that you can do and, and things. And one of the things that a couple of years ago I heard a, a pastor talking about that he got up every day and the first thing he did was hit his knees, hit his knees. Well, I've kind of tried to develop that habit, hitting my knees. First thing up in the morning, bam, hit your knees and pray. Another, another, another little habits of the heart I've tried to develop because if you're anything like me, when you get to prayer, your mind's running and you have all these kind of things you want to pray about. But how often when you pray are you still that you just, you, you listen, you listen for the small voice of God. You allow him to speak to your heart. Um, there's a little thing called a whisper prayer, a whisper prayer that kind of helps you focus a little bit. And you can develop your own kind of whisper prayer. My little whisper prayer is this. It says, is, is, Lord Jesus, I surrender. Lord Jesus, I surrender. And a lot of times I just try to repeat that to myself. Just try to, you know, all those worries and fears and concerns, trying to center down to listen to God. So there are different habits of the heart. What have you developed? If we kind of run around, I bet you we'd each have different habits of the heart that have been helpful. So your heart, your heart, speaking the truth in love, your tongue, your feet, your ears, your heart. As we put those before the Lord and ask him to transform us, his hands can use us for his purposes. I've given you a little handout again. At the bottom of your handout, there's a quote from uh, Watchman Nee. And on the back of your handout, if you look at that, I've given you six questions to help you think about. So kind of trying to apply today's message. One, I'm going to say a little prayer, and it's basically this kind of, I'm going to pray kind of basically the statement Watchman Nee made, but I think it speaks well about the Holy Spirit taking control of your life and allowing him to have his way in your life. Those six questions, I think, kind of challenge you to think, what's coming out of my mouth? And that should reflect what's in my heart. So as your heart is transformed, those six questions on the back of that sheet, they should be transformed as well because your verbal things, speaking the truth and love, should be transformed as your heart is transformed. Amen? Okay. May we pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you know us inside and out and love us anyway. Your love is amazing. And, Lord, you're always available to bring transformation to our hearts and to our feet and to our tongue. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you are patient with us. So, Lord, we ask that you might do a a heart job on us, uh, that each day we might surrender our lives to you and you might use us for your purposes and plans. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.